Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to tonight's edition of Students for a Better Future Radio. I'm your host, Doreen Senko, with Ruben Torres and Luther Mays, and we are live. tonight's edition of Students for a Better Future Radio. Um, folks, once again, we have a great show for you tonight. I um, want to mention it's sponsored by the 501c3 nonprofit, um, and we have great programs. If you go ahead and visit the website, there's also internships on there, and um, if you can make a little donation, that would be awesome. Um, and tonight, um, we are going to be talking about immigration reform now that we have new president-elect Donald Trump. And um, this last election has really, really brought out some things. Uh, But I want to point out that when you talk about immigration, um, both parties are at fault the way things are. And um, this is why we're in the situation that we have. We have a lot of illegals in this country. And um, they are making a ruckus. And they are also uh, posing... Um, putting strains on our education, health, and all of our government systems, and um, we're going to be talking about the Trump, the Donald Trump's ten-point um, immigration reform. Ruben, are you there? I'm here. And I know you've talked about this, Ruben. Um, yes. And we have three million uh, illegals supposedly who had voted in the last election. Right. And um, so what say you? Well, I, I think something that most people may not be aware is that Obama, under the DACA program, which allowed illegals to register and provide their uh, information, their home information, everything about themselves, um, it's, come, it's come to my attention that those individuals were basically fooled by the Obama administration. They took that information, and already we're seeing early the early part of deportation happening under the Obama administration based on that information they got from these individuals who are here illegally. They're being deported already. Uh, are these people who are here illegally, do they commit crimes? Are these the ones that commit crimes or just the ones that are here illegally? Here illegally, the one, I think I believe it's 1.5 million uh, individuals. Um, but those were individuals that signed up under the DACA, DACA program, which is basically to provide amnesty. They would be guaranteed eventually amnesty so they can stay here. And in turn, they've used that information to to basically deport a lot of these individuals already. Where are you getting uh, that okay. information I want, from? I want to bring on our guest. Hold on. Um, uh, uh, his name is Michael Cutler. Uh, he's a former INS special agent. Mike, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you fine. Uh, good to join and you. Welcome thank, to the thank show. Thank you for having me. 
Uh, Ruben, uh, I'd, be cur- I'd be curious to know, I, I, you're getting the information about DACA kind of sideways. I think we ought to start out by saying that DACA is an acronym for Deferred Action Childhood Arrival. It essentially right. parallels the DREAM Act that did not pass Congress. Uh, one of the right. lies of the Obama administration was that Congress had failed to act. And I think it's important to make note of something. You know, I was on a panel mm-hmm. discussion with, with a senator who I have tremendous respect for, Jeff Sessions. And I, I've appeared before 17 congressional hearings before the House and Senate and gave testimony to the 9-11 Commission about many of these issues, especially the nexus between immigration, uh, terrorism, and uh, crime, narcotics trafficking, and so forth. Half of my 30-year career with the INS was spent with the Drug Task Force. Uh, you know, I, I, right. the first, uh, I was the first INS agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA. After that, I was promoted to the position of senior special agent. I wound up with desks at a bunch of other federal agencies, including the FBI, DEA, and ATF. And immigration is, import, is an important component of all of this. But when the president said that the, that the Congress had failed to act, that was a bald-faced lie. Congress voted down bad legislation. They did it in... Uh, 2007. They did it again a couple of years ago. In fact, I testified before three congressional, I'm sorry, four congressional hearings in in 06 and 07 about comprehensive immigration reform. But uh, the Congress voted against the legislation. That's not a failure to act. The Congress failed to act the way that Mr. Obama wanted them to act. But those people were granted temporary lawful status. They are not yet subject to deportation or removal, so I don't believe well, they're being. I, I don't believe they are being apprehended or arrested at this point in time. They could not be legally. I know I've made thousands well, of arrests for violations of the Immigration and Nationality Act. When you provide an alien with te- even temporary lawful status, unless they violate the status that they were provided with you don't have a legal ground to remove them from the United States. And well, they, I'm just telling you, um, this is something that I did. I, I've made numerous arrests, and the, the president is not removing those people. I would hope that Donald Trump will use the information in the DACA files, because he can. But at this stage of the game, they are not being removed, and what's so dangerous about it was that the way they process those applications defies common sense and the findings of the 9-11 Commission. There were no interviews. There were no field investigations. There was no way to verify the identities of these aliens, no way then to find out what their actual backgrounds were. And one of the lies that we were being taught or told about DACA, the Dreamers, is that this was about children. You know, when President Obama stood in the Rose Garden and talked about the children, the kids, and this was June 12th, if I remember correctly, or July 12th, 2012, two days later, Fox News Latino published a commentary about it. Uh, I said that what he called prosecutorial discretion was in reality prosecutorial deception. These these so-called kids could be as old as 31 years of age. All they needed to do was to claim to have entered the United States prior to their 16th birthday. And again, no interviews, no field investigations, no capacity to verify the information, and the adjudications officers were put under incredible pressure. It only takes about 20 minutes to approve an application, but it could take days or weeks to deny one. To deny an application requires that an agent goes out, 
conducts a field investigation, writes a report, then the adjudications officer writes a denial, and has to, that denial then has to be checked for legal sufficiency by the attorneys. So if you tell an adjudications officer, you have to look for fraud. And by the way, the 9-11 Commission identified immigration fraud as the key um, embedding and um, entry tactic for the terrorists. Then what you have is an open invitation for fraud. There's no way to determine who they are because there's but, no hey. interviews. And yeah, the Ruben only point does, I wanted you to want make. To yeah, I just wanted to make. Well, I just wanted to finish the point. So understand okay, what well, happened. On, the oh, pressure is on to approve the applications, and they have a 95 yeah. percent approval rate. That's critical. Uh, That's ahead, critical. Ruben. Well, Ruben, it, it came to it came to my attention uh, today that in Charlotte, North Carolina, some of the DACA dreamer dreamers, uh, about six of them that had already signed up for the DACA program were deported back to Central America. They, then they may have committed felonies because at that point you violate your status. We deport people with green cards. If an alien is lawfully admitted for permanent residence and commits felonies, they're subject to deportation. But absent a conviction for a felony, I find it very unlikely that anybody under that program at this stage would have been deported. There'd be no legal justification. That's the problem. You don't just put people on an airplane. You have to have legal justification to take an official action. Right. I, I, said, I, I, was, I, I was just bringing it up that the, the point of me bringing this up is that all those individuals that signed up trusting the Obama administration and the Democrats in regards to providing them with their personal information have basically they've been betrayed because they now they're using betrayed. they were, I, I wouldn't call that a betrayal the Obama administration did something for them they never should have done in the first place it's not a betrayal the betrayal was to the American people to American citizens American students and to lawful immigrants if you're willing to provide lawful status to illegal aliens Ruben then why in the world do we spend 14 plus billion dollars per year on customs and border protection? They have over 60,000 employees at CBP. What's the point to the right. legal immigration system if you can come illegally and be rewarded for it? You know, I compare it to opening a third lane on the Jersey Turnpike. Right now, you have a choice between cash and Easy Pass. Imagine a third lane that said free no speed limit. That's what Obama no, no, opened no, no. up. Free no speed Michael limit lane. Michael, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not for, and I'm not defending them. I'm just saying, I'm trying to make a point that a lot of people have been critical of Donald Trump regarding the immigration. I'm trying to make a point that you know all all these criticism against Donald Trump, and there's no criticism towards Obama and the Democrats uh, regarding what they did. I, I, not I'm not, well, it depends on who's criticizing. Open borders anarchists are going to be critical of Trump, and that's perfectly understandable because they don't want our laws enforced. What right. the, but the I'm foolishness? That, yeah, but, there's but, never been there's never been uh, the, the the mainstream media and the liberal media has never been critical of Obama and his policies of deportation of illegal immigrants. They always look at the Republicans as the ones that are the bad bad. Individuals, bad people that are, you know, they they hate the immigrants. But in reality, what I'm trying to bring up is that the Democrats, in, in saying, in, in, in you know, they they paint a pretty picture 
of how kind and compassionate they are, but deep down they're not. Well, uh, so, so why don't we take a look at something and, and look at why we have immigration laws in the first place. Yeah. And this is something that most people don't realize. You know, I was just before the uh, state senate of Indiana. Of Indiana. Um, mm-hmm. I was invited to address the state senate at a hearing on immigration on the state level. And I, they gave me over an hour to address them, which is a, a very generous period of time. And one of the points that I made is we keep hearing this nonsense about the Latino voter. It's somehow immigration has been equated with Latinos. It's all about Mexicans and Latin Americans. In point of fact, the immigration laws make no such distinction. And what I told the state senators, and they were bug-eyed when I said it, I said, if you buy into this notion of the Latino voter, that somehow uh, an American whose last name is Rodriguez, as opposed to an American whose last name is Smith, Jackson, or Goldstein, has a different worldview and different objectives, by definition, you're a racist. Americans are Americans. The purpose for our immigration laws, if you go to the grounds for exclusion, and you can find them in Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, talks about aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, aliens who are mentally ill and are violent or sex offenders, aliens who are criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, fugitives from justice, aliens who would likely become a public charge, or aliens who have no authority to work, and if they did work, would displace Americans or drive down the wages of Americans similarly employed. So the immigration laws aren't about race. They're not about being unfair. They're eminently unfair. It's about protecting American lives and the jobs of American workers. Prior to the Second World War, in point of fact, the responsibility for enforcing and administering immigration laws fell to the Labor Department. It was shifted to the Justice Department when Nazi saboteurs were found coming ashore in Miami and in New York on Long Island, and they realized, wait a minute, immigration is a national security issue. And that, in fact, is why after 9-11, they shifted immigration from the Justice Department to the Department of Homeland Security. So when you realize Mm -hmm. that immigration is about national security, then you have to understand that when people violate the immigration laws, they're undermining national security. In fact, the 9-11 Commission made the point that border security is a major component of of national security, and not just the Mexican border. You know, this whole notion we're going to secure the Mexican border and this fascination with a fence, with a wall, how much barbed wire. Uh, The Mexican border is a relatively minor problem, believe it or not. Not a single one of the 9-11 terrorists ran the Mexican border. Very few terrorists that we've arrested thus far have run the Mexican or even the Canadian borders, but the Canadian border is also a serious threat as are the 95,000 miles of coastline that surround our country. And we also have international airports in virtually every state. And most of the terrorists arrive through international airports. So the problem that we've had is that immigration, starting with Jimmy Carter, has been misportrayed. He started the nonsense of don't use the word alien, let's call them immigrants. And then if you say let's enforce the immigration laws, the press complacent, well, actually was uh, complicit, turned around and said, oh, you're anti-immigrant if you want to enforce the immigration laws. Big lie. We admit legally more than a million lawful immigrants every year. The term lawful has reference to the INA, the Immigration and Nationality Act. How in the world are you anti-immigrant if you support the laws whereby we admit 
over a million lawful immigrants, naturalize hundreds of thousands of new citizens every year, and permit the entry of tens of millions of non-immigrant aliens. So please understand that both parties, Reagan created the first amnesty, which is what led to this disaster that we're in right now. He sold it to everybody by saying, oh, there'd be about a million aliens who would participate. We wound up with nearly four million aliens. Understand both political parties have the same agenda. They're taking bribes from the same U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which in my judgment is the most anti-American organization. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce wants three things, an unlimited supply of foreign tourists, an unlimited supply of foreign students, and an unlimited supply of cheap labor. And it's not only cheap labor working at the basic manual jobs where you see the illegal aliens, it's the ever-increasing number of H-1B visas for the high-tech workers. It's about driving down everyone's wages. But guess what? They destroyed the middle class. You now have over 90 million Americans of working age not working because of our friends, so-called, at the Chamber of Commerce, and other special interest groups. And now the economy is in the tank for two reasons. Americans have lost their jobs. They have no disposable income, so they can't buy anything. They're not paying taxes. And they're on welfare and other programs through no fault of their own, which cost us a ton of money. The foreign workers, on the other hand, are sending remittances, money out of the country. In fact, last year, India globally got the greatest amount of remittances, over $70 billion dollars their economy took off. We lose every year hundreds of billions of dollars in remittances, the money being wired out of the country, which further pulls down the U.S. economy. And see, the, the, the beautiful thing about Trump is he gets it. The question, though, is what will Congress do and what will his uh, team that's advising him recommend that he does? We have got to get rid of the criminal aliens. I agree. Yeah, my, uh, Can I ask a question? Uh, yeah, um, go ahead. Mike, um, go ahead, Luther. You want to ask? Sure, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Luther. Yeah, um, on this. What was I going to say? Now I forgot what I was going to say. That's okay. <laughs> I can't uh, believe this. I'll ask in a minute. I want to, uh, okay, Mike, I want to bring up what Trump is going to do here. Okay, okay, the 10 points he wrote yeah, out. Let's do that. Let's do that. And catch and release create a deportation task force and focus on criminals in the country illegally, defund sanctuary cities, cancel President Obama's executive actions. Number six is extreme vetting, block immigration from some nations. Seven is force other countries to take back those whom the U.S. wants to deport. Eight is get biometric visa tracking system fully in place. Nine is strengthen E-Verify block jobs for the undocumented, and 10 is limit legal immigration, lower to historic norms, and set new caps. That was the 10, well, 10 of them. Mm -hmm. The question is, what is he going to do? Well, Uh, How is he going to accomplish this? All right, first of all, you need many more immigration agents. Right now, ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, has about 6,000 agents. More than half of them are doing customs work right now. Customs law has nothing to do with immigration law. That's about uh, materials coming across the border. It's about contraband. It's about levying tariffs and duties and so forth. So we probably have about 3,000 immigration agents for the entire United States of America. Let's put that number in perspective. New York City 
Just the city of New York has over 35,000 police officers. We're down from a high of about 42,000 cops. Uh, TSA, Transportation Safety Administration, has over 45,000 employees. The Border Patrol has over 20,000 Border Patrol agents. We have a tiny number of immigration agents. And one of the things that Trump left out, by the way, and this is really vital, and I, I hope to speak to some of his folks. I know that they read the articles I write. And by the way, I write for a bunch of websites. I'll quickly put it out now, and I'll mention it uh, towards the end of the hour. But my own personal website is michaelcutler.net, C-U-T-L-E-R, michaelcutler.net. I write for capsweb.org, Californians for Population Stabilization, C-A-P-S, capsweb.org. I write for Front Page Magazine, sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center, Front Page Mag, and I write for The Social Contract. And, and if you look at the articles that I've written, one of the biggest focuses, and it was the focus of my very first hearing, believe it or not, four and a half years before 9-11, it was about visa fraud and immigration fraud because of two terror attacks that were carried out in the United States in 1993. January 93, a Pakistani national by the name of Mir Amil Kansi shot up the CIA, killed two CIA officers, wounded three others. He had applied for asylum, fled the country. We brought him back here, put him on trial, found him guilty, and executed him. But the people he killed stayed dead, didn't they? And a month later, we had the first bombing at the Trade Center. Every one of the participants in that bombing had committed either visa fraud or immigration fraud. One guy, Mahmoud Abu Alima, had been granted amnesty as an agricultural worker, a la Chuck Schumer's brilliant plan. The only thing he ever planted was a, garage, a bomb in the garage of the World Trade Center. So immigration fraud is critical. Now, when Trump talks about extreme vetting and keeping out people from, Muslim, from countries that sponsor terrorism, not Muslim countries, but countries that sponsor terrorism, everybody screamed bloody murder. Two points that everybody should know. When the Iranians overran the U.S. Embassy at Tehran, I was one of the agents tasked with going out and looking for the Iranians who were in the United States. We lost track of them. We had no ability to find them. That was part of the reason why they're talking about a biometric tracking system. I'd also like to believe that part of the reason for this emphasis on biometrics was I had raised that issue at that hearing that I testified at on May 20th, 1997, about visa fraud and immigration fraud because of my concerns about imposters. But um, just five days or four days short of the fifth anniversary of the bombing at the Trade Center, and that bombing took place February 28th, um, 1993, February 24th, 1998, the Senate Intelligence Hearing, uh, Senate Intelligence Committee rather, had a hearing on the topic of foreign terrorists operating inside the United States. One of the members of that hearing, or one of the members of the Senate who appeared at that hearing, testified about three things. I want you to figure out who this right-wing fanatic was, and here's what this senator said. Number one, we ought to reconsider the visa waiver program, and I've been screaming bloody murder about it for years, and to show you how bad the Chamber of Commerce is, on 9-11, we had 26 countries that participated in the visa waiver program. Today, we have 38 countries. There should be zero countries. This is because of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and its Discover America partnership, where they've partnered with the hotel, hospitality, and travel industries, pushing for open borders. So this one senator said we ought to rethink the visa waiver program. Item number two, perhaps we should stop issuing visas to any citizen who comes from a country that's sponsored terrorism. Sounds very much like Donald Trump. Number three, we should stop perhaps teaching students from those same countries that sponsor terrorism 
maybe we shouldn't be teaching them nuclear physics and biochemistry because they can easily turn that training against us and create weapons of mass destruction. Guess who this crazy member of the United States Senate was? John McCain. Uh, who was? Diane Feinstein. Oh. Uh, Diane, okay. Now understand something. It only becomes crazy when some politician decides that it's crazy. Sheila Jackson Lee called me to testify at the hearing, um, and there was an amazing hearing. It was covered by the world media. You can go to the C-SPAN website. It's a permanent part of their library. I don't know if you folks remember, but in March of 2002, six months after 9-11, to everyone's shock, it was discovered that two of the dead terrorists, including the ringleader, Mohammed Atta, and another terrorist, Marwan al-Shehi, had been granted authorization to attend flight school six months after the attack. So they were dead. The world knew they were dead. The world knew they were terrorists. But immigration screwed up yet again and provided them with authorization to go to school and, of all things, to learn how to fly airplanes. <laughs> okay? Now, Sheila Jackson Lee called me to that hearing. When I testified for Sheila Jackson Lee at another hearing several years later, or perhaps I wasn't testifying for her, although I did do another hearing for her, but mostly I, I testified at the behest of the Republican side of the Congress, and I said, well, if you look at the nexus between immigration and terrorism, and she immediately interrupted me and said, Mr. Cutler, there is no nexus. Immigration has nothing to do with terrorism. The level of distortion of reality, the level of concealment of what should be obvious facts. Harry Reid, one of the staunchest supporters of massive amnesty programs, who is attacking Trump mercilessly, about 15 or 20 years ago, I don't have the date in front of me, stood before the United States Senate and thumped the podium and said that anybody who would give anything, any benefit, anything at all, to an alien illegally present in the United States is insane. If you're here illegally, you should be entitled to nothing and you should be forced to go home. This was Harry Reid. And the winds changed and the direction of the winds changed and Harry Reid, human weather vane, swung 180 degrees in the opposite direction. And we see this with politicians with a few exceptions, like Jeff Sessions, like Louis Gohmert. There's a few, but not many. But most of these characters, when enough money is Teddy put Cruz. on the table, they'll do whatever yeah, they're told to do. Do you realize that? Well, yeah. anything they but say is it's, anything they say is the exact opposite of what they're going to do. Well, it's not only the exact opposite. One of the tricks they do in Washington. The interesting thing is, I had 30 years in as an agent, but I've spent over 35 years working with the politicians. Uh, as an agent, but actually as a civilian, I had approached Senator D'Amato in 1981. I was very upset that it was almost impossible to have aliens who were, uh, were uh, guilty of reentering the United States after they were deported. The U.S. attorneys wouldn't accept the case for prosecution. And I think what's important for you and your audience to know is how prosecution works. As an agent, you conduct an investigation and you find that a law was violated. That's not an automatic prosecution, because now you have to get the U.S. attorney that has very limited resources to agree to take the case. So you go to your prosecution liaison officer, and you say, okay, I just arrested this guy. He's from Mexico. He was deported three times. He came back illegally three times. 
The law says if you're deported, you come back, you've committed a felony, the penalty is two years in jail. The prosecution liaison officer said to me, hey, Mike, you're dreaming. In, in New York especially, they are so busy, unless this guy tried to kill somebody, nobody cares if he was deported and came back. But he said, if you want a meeting at the U.S. Attorney's Office, I'll send you over there so that you won't think it's me. It's just the way it is. So I met an assistant U.S. attorney over in the Southern District, and they have a position at every U.S. attorney's office known as intake. And the person that sits at that desk, man or woman, doesn't matter, is a U.S. attorney, a prosecutor, who knows what the criteria are, the thresholds are, and this is where prosecutorial discretion kicks in. So they say, well, if the person has criminal history, They've done time for murder, armed robbery, drug trafficking. They were deported. They came back. We'll take the case. If the person simply got deported and came back, we're not going to take the case. And it dawned on me that there was something wrong with the law. And what was wrong with the law was that there was no distinction made between aliens who had committed serious crimes and aliens who did not. And I said, you know, two years in jail, if they accept those cases, is the appropriate punishment for a guy working in a sweatshop or washing dishes in a greasy spoon diner or picking crops at a farm somewhere if they get deported, come back, two years in jail is fine. But if you're an arsonist, a rapist, a bank robber, a drug dealer, you should be looking at 20 years in jail. That was just something that I felt very strongly about. Because one of the other reasons that they didn't accept the case is they said, well, it's only two years in jail, they're going to get time served by the time you're done with it. So I went to Senator D'Amato with three propositions back around 81 or 82. I said, number one, we should make a separate crime that reentry, if you're a criminal alien, has a 20-year maximum penalty. Number two, you should be holding deportation hearings inside the prisons. Because at that point, aliens would do 20 years in jail, 15 years in jail for murder, rape, you name it. They got out, and then we first started the process to deport them. Either we had to hold on to them, and we were very low on, on detention space, or we released them, and they absconded and committed more crimes and raped and killed more victims. I said, if you could hold the hearing in the prison, you have years in which to let this guy or gal file an appeal. They can go all the way to the Supreme Court. They can go to the Board of Immigration Appeals. They could do what they want, but by the time their sentence is done, we can put them on an airplane. That became the institutional hearing program. And then I said we should prioritize criminal aliens, but not only deport criminal aliens for an important reason. And I've worked very closely since I retired with the former chief counsel for the Democrat side of the Immigration Subcommittee in Washington. He agrees with me. Even if you're, quote, unquote, only an illegal alien and you're caught, you should be deported. Why? Because this way you're backing up the border saying, you know, if you run the border and we catch you, there are consequences. That's very important. Also, you find that by mundane, routine work in law enforcement, you catch some very big criminals. Half the FBI's 10 most wanted, for example, are believed to be arrested when they run red lights or commit other traffic offenses by a local cop. My very first case, a guy with an altered visa, which was supposed to be a nothing investigation, take a statement, we're sending him home, turned out he was affiliated with a terrorist organization. I played a hunch. And ultimately, it led to the discovery of a plan to blow up an oil refinery in Israel. We prevented the attack working with the Israelis and with the FBI. So routine immigration law enforcement, routine law enforcement, period, pays dividends you can't begin to imagine. So when Trump says he's going to deport the, the millions who are illegal and criminals, 
I agree. But we also ought to be mindful that as you're looking for bad guys, and they frequently change addresses so other people wind up living in their houses, if you find collateral arrests, as I call them, make those arrests and seek to deport anybody that you encounter as you're out there, because no illegal alien should ever be able to go to sleep at night confident that he or she isn't going to be arrested and deported within the next 24 hours. This also deters others from coming to the United States illegally. You see my point? Uh, Michael. Yeah, I have I have two questions for you, Michael. Sure. Number one is, what can Donald Trump do to mayors or governors that are refusing to turn over personal information of illegal immigrants to a Trump administration? What legal legally can they do? Uh, well, the he, Trump he, administration he's do? looking at one side and he's talking about defunding those states, and I agree completely. But I really right. think that you could make a case for criminally prosecuting situations where an official intentionally fails to notify immigration when we lodge a detainer, for argument's sake. When I did an investigation, if somebody was going to go to jail because I was working with, let's say, the police, or I was working with the FBI or DEA, so you arrest somebody with 10 kilos of cocaine, let's say, and the guy is prosecuted, and you would drop a detainer. Now, what does that mean? Let's say the guy gets 15 years in jail because of the drug and weapons charge. When he's released, he's not just released. Immigration is notified so we can take custody. If you have jail officials, for example, like we saw with Mm -hmm. Kate Steinle in California, who refuses to honor that detainer, as far as I'm concerned, we ought to be looking at prosecuting that guy under Title VIII, United States Code Section 1324, aiding, abetting, harboring, shielding, Uh, that illegal alien from detection by the federal government. If you or I did it, if you harbored a fugitive in your house, you would go to jail. We have cities that are harboring illegal aliens, including aliens with criminal histories. You know, I loved Ed Koch. I thought he was New York's best mayor. But in around 1988 or so, I physically deported a criminal alien from Panama by the name of Ronaldo Rayside. The guy had had a green card. He lost it because of multiple drug convictions. He came back, which was a felony, but the New York City Police Department was prohibited from letting us know that he had been rearrested by the NYPD after his deportation. Well, he does this twice. He gets released. The third time, he's encountered by a 24-year-old police officer by the name of Robert Machadi. Machadi's wife is pregnant. He goes for Machadi's gun on a street corner in Brooklyn. In the ensuing battle, Officer Machadi is killed. I testified at the murder trial. It was one of the worst trials I ever testified at. The family of the dead police officer was there. And ironically, 20 years later, thereabouts, I went into my local grocery store to buy some groceries. It was snowing out. I wanted to get home before the roads became a skating rink. And I saw this attractive young lady open up a new line. So I scooted over there to get ahead of everybody else. And I noticed she was wearing a miniature badge around her neck, turned out she was Officer Machadi's daughter. Mm. And I'll tell you what, I wound up sitting in my car for over a half hour. I couldn't drive my car. I was shaking. These are not victimless crimes, and it happens every day of the week. I have a very close friend, and I wish I didn't know him because of the circumstances. 
Don Rosenberg's son was 25 years old. He was in law school in San Francisco. He decided to put himself through law school, even though his dad had the financial resources to pay for law school. His father was in the movie industry. And in fact, ironically, uh, Don's father was a cop in New Jersey. And so his son is making this legal turn. There were witnesses, this guy with uh, no uh, license. He was here on temporary protected status, and that should end also many of those cases. Hits him and barely injures him, according to eyewitnesses, but in trying to flee, runs him over three times and kills him. And they didn't even prosecute him criminally. He did 30-odd days for a motor vehicle infraction. And I could tell you many more horror stories. And so when Donald Trump stands there... I just want to make the point that when Trump talks about putting Americans first, that's what those immigration laws were designed to do, folks. This isn't about bigotry. And those protesters don't know what they're protesting. Yeah, well, when you got you got your politicians and your and your people in authority that are that are looking the other way, you're never going to fix this until you start prosecuting them. And the people coming in here, they know they're not supposed to be in here. This should not be a hearing. Picked up, moved, out of here. They're here. They not, they're not here legally. They should be deported immediately. And the officials that are doing this should be prosecuted. But it seems to me everybody's above the law anymore. Well, I mean, if you look at Hillary disaster, Clinton, what do we got Homeland Security for when they're not even allowed to do the job? Well, but but look at Hillary Clinton with the email. And by the way, the email was never portrayed properly. It wasn't a separate crime, as far as I'm concerned. It was an effort to cover up Benghazi and the activities of the Clinton Foundation. But it was never yeah. portrayed that way. So you have you have politicians who, as you rightfully say, think that they're above the law. Both political parties. And so when you when you live in that kind of a society, and by the way, is there any kind of compassion being shown when you exploit people? I used to raid factories, and it made my stomach sick. You had women being forced to have sex with the boss on the lunch hour, people working in conditions that you, if you subjected an animal to the conditions, you'd be charged with animal cruelty, driving down the wages of Americans, throwing Americans off their jobs, and not just with illegal aliens. We're doing it to the computer industry. Do you know, for all the talk about the schools not providing the education and training the people we want, first of all, within the past few years, hundreds of thousands of American programmers and high-tech workers have been displaced by foreign workers, predominantly from India. You have Mm -hmm. over a half million or about a half million foreign students entering the United States every year to learn the STEM curriculum, science, technology, engineering, and math. Guess which country sends us the greatest number of those students? China. China is our adversary. China is building its military like no other country. Nuclear attack submarines. They've built an artificial island in the South China Sea warning us that if we get too close, they will take action. We build our factories on their land. They have no respect for intellectual property rights. Many of their military aircraft look very much like our aircraft because they have their spies working in our companies in the United States, and then they hack our computers. So we're educating engineers who go back to China and help them build up the war machine. It's going to be, God forbid, one day our soldiers, our airmen, our sailors, who are going to be confronting that war machine that we help them to build. If this is not an act of national suicide, I don't know what is. 
See, it's not just about Mexico and Mexicans, and that's why we've got to stop thinking purely about the Mexican border. If you want to know if the border is secure, look at the flow of heroin into the country, and it's not just coming across the Mexican border, although that is a big source. It's coming through ships. It's coming into the international airports. I began my career in 1971 as an immigration inspector assigned to Kennedy Airport. Back then we had people coming off of airplanes who had swallowed either balloons or condoms stuffed with heroin or cocaine. This isn't new. So if we only look at the Mexican border, I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine. I called it Border Security and the Immigration Colander. The idea that if you partially plug one hole in the bottom of a colander, you now have a bucket. It's as stupid as it gets. When we're told we don't have enough jobs for Americans, and then we're told the solution to a lack of jobs is to bring in more workers, makes as much sense as discovering a hole in the bottom of your boat and deciding that the solution to water coming into your boat is to drill more holes and that magically the water will go out. Well, the reason, the reason they're pushing the, uh, to bring in more workers is basically to push down the wages. Right. That's the, so that's it's a vicious cycle. So you keep displaying. By the way, do you know legally, because we keep talking about illegal immigration, do you know that legally we admit more authorized foreign workers every month than the number of new jobs we're creating? And that's without looking at the illegal aliens. Well, we have over 40% of people who, who overstate their visa. No, I'm not talking about them. I mean, people no, no, who come just... here absolutely entitled to work where they have work visas or they're being given lawful status with green cards. So they can work. The overstays are illegal. I'm talking legally. Legally, we're admitting more workers than the number of new jobs we're creating. And now you add to that the visa overstays and the people who enter without inspection. No, no, I agree with you. I'm just saying that that's another another point that gets missed, uh, gets lost in the whole spectrum. Oh, Not oh, really. Oh, they oh, just, oh. There was just a GAO report that said that oh, at least a half million vi- uh, visa violations occur every year. More than a half well, million every that, year. I, I think that's where that biometric, the biometric uh, technology should come into play. If you get here, if you land in the United States, basically have the, have the biometrics done on, they do. on each They do. The, they have it now. They have it in part because of that hearing where I made that recommendation. Here's what's not happening. When the Immigration Act was reformed in 1996, and I helped them to work on that also, by the way, but when that law was reformed, they said we needed to have an exit entry system using biometrics to track arrival and departure. It didn't happen. After 9-11, the 9-11 Commission reinstated it as a strong recommendation. They went to a company called Accenture, which is an offshore company. At the time they got the contract, they were headquartered in Hamilton, Bermuda. They've since moved to Ireland, so they pay no taxes. They were given a contract, I believe it was for $10 billion, with a B. They never completed the work on the program, and I believe the reason for it comes back to the visa waiver program. One of the requirements for a country to participate in the visa waiver country, a program is that their citizens cannot overstay visas by more than, I believe, it's a 3% overstay rate. And they can't have more than, I believe, it's a 3% visa refusal rate. Visa refusal is easy to manipulate. The State Department tells counselor officials, if you get someone from Great Britain, you're going to have to give them a visa unless there's something glaring. The guy's got to have his name on the terror watch list. Otherwise, give him a visa. 
so that's why you keep the visa waiver, the, the, the visa refusal numbers very low. However, when you have people that overstay, you can't mess with those numbers if you have the statistics. So what was the goal of the government? To never know what the statistic was. So what do you do? You make certain that the tracking system is never fully implemented. See, it's not just that politicians say one thing and do something else. That wouldn't be so bad. They do things that look like they're doing what you want that don't do the job by design. It's failure by design. When they talked about building the virtual fence, I was on with Lou Dobbs. I've done hundreds of television interviews. But back when Dobbs was over at CNN, I'll never forget it, as only Lou Dobbs can. He said, Mike Cutler, what do you think of that Secure Border Initiative Network, SBI Net, the virtual fence? I said, Lou, it will do exactly what it's supposed to do. Cost a ton of money and stop virtually nobody. A couple of years later, the GAO came out and said they had spent billions of dollars on this program, and it didn't work. Same thing with drones on the border. I remember I was on with Neil Cavuto, and Neil was talking about the drones. They said drones are worthless. You need helicopters with agents on board. A drone can't do anything but take pictures, let you know where the aliens are running. By the time you get there, they're in the wind. And so he you know, jokingly said, well, they can shoot the people. I said, no, you never, ever want to have armed drones flying over U.S. skies. But again, they can't make an arrest. I came home. I had gotten an email from a Border Patrol pilot who verified everything that I had said. And I was told, by the way, over time, and I've spoken to people on Capitol Hill about it, one drone costs as much as four helicopters with agents on board. And if you're a Border Patrol agent on the ground and you're surrounded and you're being attacked, when you look up, what do you think is more comforting, a drone taking pictures of, the, of you being attacked or a helicopter that can land with agents on board who can assist you? And as well, soon as a study was done that showed that zero arrests were attributed to the drones, the next day, Obama went out, and, of course, he ordered more drones. So they could spend the money and say, we spent $10 billion on this or that or the other thing. But what no one ever follows up is to find out that all that money was wasted because what they're doing isn't working. I'm going to give you one other idea about something the media is not talking about, and I want you all to think about this. I would estimate we have at least 30 million illegal aliens in the United States right now. Imagine if we legalize them all. Now, the national security nightmare, we would never recover from it. Because just think about this. 19 terrorists on 9-11 inflicted more casualties on America than did the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on, on December 7, 1941. And I've testified before Congress about that threat. But here's something that the media is not talking about and no one's thinking about. And if you're involved with education, this is critical for all of you. The Congressional Budget Office did a study back in 2007, and they said that it costs 20 to 40 percent more to educate a child who cannot speak English. The report also looked at the impact of illegal immigration, and they said that, yes, illegal aliens pay taxes, but the services that they get from government cost far more than the taxes they pay. It's a net loss. But when you realize that if you were to legalize $30 million, and let's say only one in three has a child or children living back home. Do you realize, because they, it's not uncommon for third world families to have many, many kids, you would probably wind up with more kids legally coming to America once we legalize a parent who could then legally bring them here and there would be no way to stop it. 
because that has been a provision of every one of the laws, as you would imagine. If you move to another country, you take your nuclear family with you. What do you think the impact on the educational system of the United States and the impact on the budgets of cities and states across the country would amount to if suddenly 20 or 30 million students suddenly landed at international airports across America and headed to schools from coast to coast and border to border? And again, go back to that assumption that it costs 20 to 40 percent more to educate kids who can't speak English and... I assure you that within those kids, you're going to have gang members. There was a hearing April of this year before the House Immigration Subcommittee, chaired by Trey Gowdy. I've been before that committee many times, by the way, in the past. And they brought in a sheriff from Maryland, not Arizona, Maryland. That's why I say there's 50 border states. And what he told the committee was that since 2013, when we've had these surges of unaccompanied minors, since then, at least... 60% 60% or more than 60%, 60% of the time that his deputies are ordered to respond to a school, public school, intermediate school, or high school, because of a crime or an act of violence or an assault that took place, the suspect was one of those unaccompanied minors who came across the border in those surges. Now, I want you to consider what this would mean for our children's education and our children's safety, and then you need to worry about the communicable diseases that are skyrocketing where we've never seen them here before because they're tropical diseases or where our medicine had vanquished those diseases and they're back full blast, things like resistant tuberculosis. This would have been an act of national suicide, and that's why it's important that everybody reaches out to their members of Congress right now. Because as the Trump administration starts to put into place ideas about where we go with immigration, any massive amnesty program would lead to a massive influx of foreign students. Please understand the point that I am making. I hope I'm making sense to you. Well, I, I wanted to touch uh, – that, that's, that's very important what you just said, Michael. But I, I think my question to you is why do you think that – uh, the Democrat Party tends to be more open to illegal immigration than the Republican Party. Oh, it's pretty obvious. They're changing the electorate. You know, um, look, we are, and this isn't about genetics. I'm not being, because the first thing you get to hear is, oh, my God, you're being racist. No. If you look at government in Latin America, the people in Latin America grow up from the time they're two years old with the idea that a bribe is normal that true democracy is a dream. You have very tough governments that are loaded with corruption where you don't have the freedoms that you would expect to have perhaps in Europe. It's a very different political climate. And the way you grow up is the way you think life is. You know, you, we, we become accustomed early on. If, if you're a teenager, you're a young adult, and you come here and you come from a country, and that's your life experience, you bring it with you. You bring those expectations with you. Third world, workers, third world workers bring with them third world expectations of wages and working conditions. The more downtrodden the people are, if you bring in lots of them, the more they bring the whole system down to that level. If you bring in a relative small number, then they look around and say, okay, this is fine, this is America, it's a new way of life. But when you bring in millions, and we are, or tens of millions over a relatively short period of time, 
what starts to happen is you start to change the political climate of the country that they're coming to because there is no assimilation and the numbers are so huge. And I, I call them low-maintenance voters. They're not going to be concerned that the road in front of their house has potholes. They don't care if the street lights aren't working. They're willing to accept all this. So for the politician that wants the cheap vote, and the rhetoric matches what they're used to from home. I'm going to provide this for you, and I'm going to provide that for you. Never mind opportunities. The opportunities, you know, understand what we're looking at. Look at the gang activity. Out in Suffolk County in New York, we've, we had three homicides in a matter of just a couple of days by MS-13. I started investigating MS-13 in the early 90s. It was a small problem. By not aggressively going after them, they have flourished, they have spread. It's like a cancer that has metastasized across the United States. They're very violent. They're engaged in the drug trade. You know, if you want to talk about border security, the best metric for border security that can't be tampered with because the arrest statistics are as meaningless as the unemployment statistics, they're worthless. The real metric of border security is the price and availability of heroin and cocaine. There's a clear nexus. Uh, and, you know, when I was assigned to DEA intelligence, I took it upon myself to do an analysis of arrest statistics. I was almost sorry that I asked for the arrest stats because in those days you didn't get a spreadsheet. They gave you physical boxes filled with the, with, the, with the arrest records. I came to work one day, and there were boxes from floor to ceiling, and I couldn't find my desk. And I sat there for several months with a handheld calculator, and when I got done, I was stunned. In New York City, over 60%, 60 60%, of the people that we were arresting at the DEA task force for significant drug-related crimes were foreign-born. Not just Latin America, Asia, the Caribbean, Europe. Uh, I mean, remarkable. We're being inundated. And, and so, well, I have, and, by, and by the way, don't for a moment right. think that there aren't people that are thrilled drugs are pouring into the United States. Cigarettes oh. have gone the way of the dodo bird for most Americans. When I was a kid, if I swept my, my sidewalk, I can't tell you how many cigarette butts were there. There's none anymore because commercials um, have been very okay. good. But yet yeah, you see no um, commercials uh, about the drug trade. Too many people are profiting off of the drug trade because money is washing through Wall Street and the banks. Too many people are making money off the cheap labor, making money by moving the money back to the home country of the foreign workers. The only person that's not making out on this deal is the average hardworking American and his family. We are absolutely being shafted because of yeah. this unbelievable greed. And, Luther, you yeah, wanted to ask. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. I didn't know, mean to go on. Com- I just wanted to make a couple of points while I'm on with you. Well, you know, when I first heard of free trade, I thought, we're going to have free trade with the communists? Okay. We have free trade with the communists. We make them stronger. We've made but them, we're we've doing made free trade with Latin stronger. America. Look what we did to Latin America. Look at NAFTA. Look at CAFTA. We drove Mexican farmers into bankruptcy because they couldn't compete with ADM and the other American conglomerates. That's right. And then what do they do? They come across the Rio Grande because they, they can't north. farm anymore. That's right. And you know subsidies. what happens also? We wind up with enemies around the world because that farmer yeah, who lost his farm mad. that was owned by his great-grandfather is angry at us, and for good reason. Except we right. didn't do it. You follow and my point? When it comes to, when it comes to immigration, anybody comes in here on a visa, a green card, or anything, they... They, they're, they're welcome to come here to go to school, live by the American laws, and, 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 and obey our laws. But the, the problem here is with your green cards and your, and your visas, they should have IDs with a fingerprint on it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're confusing apples, cannonballs, and, and elephants. 
A green card is an alien lawfully admitted for permanent residence that he's immediately on the pathway to U.S. citizenship. Temporary right, but visas. what I'm trying to say is we, we know who they are. You let them in here, and there's a photograph of them, and there's a, and we there's have a fingerprint that for the there. Visas. I, I've said that before. They now do all of that biometric when there's visas, okay? And that was something that we accomplished. What we're not doing, and by the way, people say the solution is E-Verify. By itself, it's no solution. What do you think an employer is going to do if he's knowingly hiring illegal aliens, even if E-Verify is mandatory? How do you work around that? Well, America should come first anyway. No, no, wait a moment. I'm asking you a specific, not a philosophy. I know America should come first. How does somebody work around mandatory E-Verify and continue to hire illegal aliens without detection? How? They can pay them under the table. That's right. And you're not going to well, know it unless you have agents on the ground doing those investigations. And that's why you've never seen large numbers of agents working from within the interior. Are you against what I just said about the, uh, their IDs with fingerprints so we know where they're at? We have we it, are. but I keep saying it's done now. It's been done for the last 20 years. So you're missing what I'm saying. Well, okay, so but if you don't have agents to it. use it, if you don't have agents to use it, it's meaningless. Right. Okay. So we got it there, but we got it there, but you're not allowed to do your job. It's not that you're not. Okay, it's not even only that you don't have the agents to do the job. Imagine if oh, you told I understand five that. cops. Wait, well, hold on, imagine, let imagine if you told five cops to secure the Thanksgiving Day parade. Could they do it? Go ahead, loser. You see my well, point? By design, we don't have the agents we need. I don't well, Michael, Michael, so they spend all the money on flying drones, taking pictures when they could be paying the agents to be doing their damn job, and they're not doing it. They're wasting the money on everything else. So drones don't work. So he, so he blatantly goes and puts more drones in there. Uh, right. I, don't, I don't believe he's for America. Okay. I don't think he should have ever been a president. Well, and you had okay. Ronald Reagan who, who set the standard with the first amnesty and said that he would hire more agents and never did. It's well, both political parties, to, folks. you got to accept Ruben, that. Mike, Mike, I have to correct you on, on something here. Sure. Uh, in, regard, in regards to uh, Latin American and gangs, traditionally the countries that really are gang in their blood, that have gang genetics, are basically Central American countries and, and Mexico because the South American countries are not really – no, you're, you're right. Do not have for, it's for a Do phenomenon not have a of Central America. You're right. But my yeah. point but my point is that is where we're gonna be drawing a lot of the kids from. Oh yeah. You're yeah. not gonna yeah, be yeah. getting kids from Argentina the way you are from Guatemala and El Salvador. Exactly. I mean you're, right. so you have, I stand you, corrected. You, you, but, you, I, I was, but but you're right. It's more a phenomenon of Central America than, than Latin America. Well Latin America includes both. I didn't say South America, I said Latin America. And yeah, Central America South and America, Mexico are part of Latin America. In South, in South America, you have a blend of European and, and, and basically Spanish and, and, and a mix. Central America is more, more it tends to be more in, indigenous. Yes. So that, Although you that, look that, at what's that, happening right. in Chile and elsewhere, but you're right. But, but again, Central America is part of Latin America. And shorthand, I said Latin America, so I'll, I'll agree with you. Uh, um, okay. Guys, okay. Uh, um, guys, but you understand the okay, point that I'm trying to make. On. Yeah, we have to wrap up because um, we're out of time. Um, no. So, Mike, can you mention your website again? 
Sure, it's michaelcutler.net, C-U-T-L-E-R, capsweb.org, front page magazine, and the social contract. This is Story, thanks for having me, by the way. Yes, it's definitely a subject that we are going to continue um, working on. Um, Pleasure. And Ruben, Ruben, can I give you want to do the closer? Yeah, yeah. Basically, it was a great show. Uh, again, thank you, uh, Doreen, Luther, and, and, and Michael. Um, I believe that in order for immigration to really, uh, illegal immigration to be curbed, uh, Donald Trump has to really take a tough stand. And then uh, Congress has to take a tough stand on, on basically providing that support because w- without protecting the borders, we won't have a country. That's and true. That's- Absolutely. And folks, we are back tomorrow night. Um, we we are having a uh, Wendy Lynn Day. She's going to be discussing um, what's on the agenda for the Republican and Demo- uh, Democrat parties coming up for the new year. And stay tuned until tomorrow night. We'll see everybody then. Thank you and have a good night.